Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am your host, Ian Altman. So that dreaded word, no, that feeling of rejection in sales oftentimes paralyzes people, but no isn't necessarily a bad thing. And our guests have created a whole brand around this and help people understand why going for no and then knowing what to do when somebody says no is something that they've given great insight into. And so let me welcome them on. Our guests are Andrea Waltz and Richard Fenton. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. So glad to be with you. Yep. Great to be here. Um, you know what? I'm glad. And, and I've known Andrea for years. I just met Richard. I'm assuming that like, you know, you were keeping him hidden for some reason, Andrea. I keep him down in the basement uh, year after year, but finally we decided to write a new book. So uh, I let him out. I let him out to promote it. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm pretty much the content creation person of the two. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know what? Someone's got to be. And and Richard, I hope that after she lets you out for this, that you're able to stay out. And if not, just text me and I'll see what I can do. Yeah, yeah it's a maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want you to talk first about this notion of no and the big mistakes or misconceptions that people have about that feeling of no and that sense in their brain of rejection. Sure. Well, you know, the biggest issue is that everybody loves the sound of the word yes. You know, yes is 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 empowering. It's exciting. Uh, Yes is where the money, you know, lies. You don't make money unless people say yes. And then you have no. And of course, no is um, negative for most people. It's deflating. And that's the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake is that people think that yes is positive and no is negative. And they think they're opposites, right? Because because yes is positive, well, then no has to be negative. And the reality is they're just opposite sides of the same coin. You cannot have the quantity of yeses you want to appear in your life without also increasing the number of no's you hear. To the degree that you try to restrict the number of no's you hear, you automatically restrict the number of yeses you're going to get. And so that's the biggest mistake that people make is they think they have to choose between yes and no. You know, should I go for yes or should I go for no? It's yeah. yes and no. It's a package deal. Yeah, And, and I think in, in certain respects, I think what some people overlook is that going for no requires a level of skepticism that can then lead your potential client to being the one convincing you instead of you trying to convince them. So there's this misnomer I think that people have of, well, you know, there are all these little goofy techniques people have been taught. Oh, well, you try and get them to say three yeses in a row and then they'll say yes. And oftentimes they get a phantom yes. They get someone who said yes, but didn't really mean it. Instead of, let's say you're talking to someone and they say, well, this is kind of a problem in our business. You could say, oh, well, that's big enough to solve then. And now you're going for yes. And instead, maybe we should be going for no and saying, but is it not a big enough issue to really take time and money? to invest in it. And so you're kind of going for no, but really the client's either going to say, no, 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 you don't understand. It is a big deal. Or they're going to say, yeah, you're probably right. It's just probably a nuisance, which means they weren't going to do anything anyhow. Is that part of what you guys are getting at? Yeah, it definitely is. And it definitely is a part in when they say no, because one of the strategies that we talk about is not only to accept the no and be willing to to hear it early in the process, because when you hear it early in the process, that's when, first of all, you don't waste a lot of time down the road. I mean, all customers and prospects know 
that they can say no at any time. But we've created a situation where they feel like they can't. But when you make them feel empowered to tell you no and do exactly what you suggested, which is ask the tough questions early on so that you get the no's out of the way, then by the end, they're trying to convince the salesperson no, I, I want to do this. Uh, no, I'm right. This this is right for me because they're used to that. Um, customers are used to having to protect themselves and they're used to always having the salesperson go for yes and manipulate or find ways to ask questions in such a way that the customer says yes to questions that like, you have to say yes to. It's kind of like, um, are you interested in saving money, protecting your family? I mean, who doesn't answer yes exactly. to those questions, right? And even as a customer, you're 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 saying yes, and you know you're being sold. And this yeah. is what Chris Boss talks about in Never Split the Difference, which I love. He talks about that yes/no protectionism thing that's going on where people don't want to, uh, you know, they know they're being forced into saying yes. So when you make people feel empowered to say no early on, it's almost this counterintuitive philosophy where they're more open-minded. Right, and yeah. we played this game early in our careers when we were trying to sell speaking in engagements and we'd contact the prospect and was, hey, how are you doing? Isn't it a beautiful day outside? You know, I, I you know, your business going well. Ugh. You know, we get we get a minute in and we haven't asked any of the questions which we refer to now as disqualifying questions. You know, this whole idea of we got to qualify the prospect. Actually, we learned that disqualifying the prospect was just Love as that. important, you know. And so we, we discovered in our business three questions. Do you have conferences? If the answer is no, well, we're done. There's, you know, we're, we're trying to get them to hire us to speak at the conference. Do you bring in speakers from the outside? And do you have a budget for speakers? If yeah. the answer to any of those is no, then we're like, thank you very much, click. But a lot of people get on and they're five minutes in and they have they don't even realize this is not a prospect. You know, it's a suspect at best. Yeah. You know what? I, I love that notion of, of your job is to disqualify versus qualify. So it's how do I rule people out? In fact, with, with a number of my clients, I'll say, okay, so who's your ideal client? Well, here's here's our ideal persona. Okay. So what are the five conditions that make someone not a good prospect? Mm. And they give this blank stare. I'm like, okay, aren't there characteristics that you see? Well, I mean, there's a lot of deals that don't go our way, but we've never really thought about it that way. Okay, well, let's think about it that way now. And all of a sudden they say, oh, so when this condition comes up, those people are never going to buy from us. Exactly. Now you've just right. saved yourself a ton of time, which is, I think, the, the whole value in going for no is that, the yeses we get are stronger yeses when we do it the right way. And I think that's something that's often often lost on people. So in this new book, you talk about this idea of when they say no. So when they say no, what does that mean? So talk a little bit about what was the driving force behind creating this and what people can learn from that. So in Go For No, we advocated that people go out and hear no more often. And then Ian, after 20 years of teaching go for no, it finally dawned on us that people were getting all of these no's and really not knowing what to do. <laughs> so we said, okay, we need to write a book. And you know, some, some authors, they 
they publish a book every two years. Richard and I really like to be patient. We wait. So we waited our 20 years from writing Go For No. And, uh, and we didn't have a plan as we started writing, but there are 41, I guess you'd call them strategies, situations of what you need to think about or maybe say or maybe do when you get that no. And for the most part with Go For No, that was the kind of stuff that we were teaching after people read the first book. It's like they would read Go For No and it's like, okay, I'm going out there and I'm getting all these no's. What am I supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to follow up with these no's? Am I supposed to ask why? Am I supposed to try to turn the no into a yes? That's really where this book is coming from. It's to give arm people with the resources and the tools that they need once they start getting all the no's that we suggest they get. Sure. And and I think that very often it's a matter of what does that no mean? It could mean no, never. It could mean no, not right now. It could mean, well, we have this these other two things that have to happen first. It could be, no, I don't trust you enough yet. And so how do people kind of unpack that and figure out which no they're getting? Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the, the secret, isn't it? Is to figure out which no it is. And that's why in the book with these 41 things, they're kind of it's kind of like a, a recipe book. You kind of have to flip through and see in what condition are you finding yourself in? Like in the, and I'm so glad you brought up trust. That is absolutely one of them. You get no because they don't trust you yet. And so people have to kind of, you have to work backwards. You have to do almost like a, a no autopsy and say, okay, <laughs> um, did I build the kind of trust? Do I have the trust with this person? And if not, how do I engage them, not let this no go, but engage them and offer them some value and continue building the relationship to where they do trust me. If trust isn't an issue, if you have a relationship with this person, maybe they've bought from you in the past, then maybe it's one of the other 41 things. Maybe there's something else. Maybe you're no longer talking to the right person. Maybe something else has changed. Maybe it's just a no, not right now. So I think the thing is you never know what it's going to be. So you got to be mindful and practice all of these strategies and in your head, be able to go through and figure out, okay, which one of these kinds of no's am I dealing with? And for sales, because no is all the time, it's ubiquitous, this is a practice and salespeople need to practice these things. Yeah, you know what, I think I think that's great. I think that one of the things that, that I often tell people is when clients are making a non-decision or deciding no, it's usually because they're either not in touch with the impact of not solving the problem or they don't believe in the results that you're talking about delivering or both. Mm -hmm. So they either feel like, well, if I do nothing, it's not that big of a deal. Like the status quo is okay. Or, well, the status quo isn't okay, but I'm not convinced that these people can deliver for me. And that's something that just requires additional investigation. And it's like, you know, the mistake that I see a lot of people fall into is the client doesn't have clarity around what it's costing them if they don't solve this problem. They're not convinced that you can deliver the results for them. The client says, yeah, we're not ready to move forward. And the inexperienced salesperson says, I know, I'll discount it. Because if mm -hmm. I discount it, that's going to drive this deal. And now they're going to be okay spending money. And the answer mm -hmm. is, if they don't think they're going to get the results they need, 
They really don't care what it costs. So how often do you see those sorts of things? If you want to get top results for your team, take a look at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesideselling.com to learn more. Yeah, well, you know, one of our um, when they say no's is when they say no, um, you haven't tipped the value price scale, you know, and, 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 you know, let's face it, there's always a scale. There's how much something is worth in the in the prospect's mind and what you're charging for it. And if ever there is a situation where a prospect thinks something is worth more than what's being charged, they virtually always say yes. I mean, unless they don't have the power to, you know, sure. but they'll say yes. But if they say no, that means it's it's the opposite. And you're exactly right. The tendency for people is to say, oh, geez, they think my price, my, my price is too heavy. You know, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to lighten the price. Well, you don't lighten the price, increase the value, tip yeah. the value side of the, the value side of the scale. I think everybody suffers from that to some degree, but it's lazy selling. It's scared selling. Uh, you always want to increase the value first if you can. Yeah. Yeah, I often ask my audiences, I say, okay, well, let's say you had two different vendors. One vendor says, well, who needs to sign off on this? Who do we need to get in the contract and those sorts of things? The other vendor says, well, what would make us successful? What are we going to measure together to know whether or not this is successful or that's successful? And what might prevent you from achieving results, even if we do everything we said we would? And the whole idea is that now you've got one vendor focused on the sale, one vendor focused on results. And I'll ask people, so who would you rather deal with? Oh, we always want vendor B who's focused on results. Great. How much more would you be willing to pay for them? And I get this response of, well, it depends. Okay. But if you had to throw a number and people will say, I don't know, 15 to 20%, which in and of itself shows that if we just focus on results in a conversation, people are willing to pay more. And then I ask this question, which is, how much less would you have to pay for it to be a good deal? but you don't get the results that you need. Oh and then people sit there and go, well, really doesn't matter at that point. It doesn't matter what we would pay, like because if we don't get the results, it doesn't matter. And I think that the spirit of going for no is, look, convince me that this is worth solving. Instead of me trying to convince you this is worth buying, first convince me you got a problem that's worth solving. And if you do, then we've got some place to talk about. But there's nothing to talk about if you don't have a problem that you think is worth solving. And I don't know how much how much you find people run into that. That's so true. I think the other piece to this, Ian, is the psychological piece. So yes, that is definitely an issue. And that brings up the psychology of desperation. And a lot of times when people are not building their pipeline when they don't have a full pipeline when they're not working it and they've got very few qualified prospects to go after then what they do is they do start with all of the strategies and so they do start with just discounting and bartering and begging <laughs> for business and those are all huge red flags because then we'll get those customers for sh a short period of time and then they'll end up you'll end up commoditizing yourself and then they'll end up leaving you when they see a good value somewhere else. Yeah, as I often say that the client who buys from you today because you're 5% less than somebody else, they're going to leave you six months later because someone else is 5% less than you. The client who comes with you because they say they can uniquely solve my problem better than anybody else. Someone else comes in and says, I can save you 10%. They're like, I don't care if you save me 30%. 
You know, I, I get that. I get that often in my business. Someone says, well, gee, you know, I've seen these testimonials on Ian Altman's site and, you know, we, you know, we do this same, same kind of stuff and we charge half as much. And my clients just laughed <laughs> like, okay, you realize that what you saw in the testimonial is that we grew from 17 million to over a hundred million in three years. You think we're worried about saving X thousands of dollars? Like that's not our motivation, but right. it's funny because people in sales sometimes think it's about price. And the reality mm -hmm. is that when our customers are confident in what a problem is costing them and they're confident that you can deliver the best outcome, they actually don't care so much about price in fact, their greatest uncertainty is whether or not somebody can deliver and they can achieve those results. So what what are some of the other things that people should be looking at when somebody says no? What could it mean that maybe they're not thinking about? Because I want to make sure that, that, that people get out of this. Look, here's what no could mean. So when they say no, here are two or three things to look for. I realize you've got 40 some odd ones in the book, but what are the ones that really stand out? Um, one of my, my favorite, and I think it's a classic one, is um, just timing. Timing and patience when it comes to the sales cycle. So our advice is, well, we have a couple aspects to this. One is when they say no, no doesn't mean never, no means not yet. But then how do you stay engaged with that person and find out the reasons behind that no? And that comes back to having the ability to build some rapport, ask some questions, open-ended questions, obviously, gather some information and then stay connected and not just get that no and then just turn and go and assume that it's it's a never. I think that's, that's the big one. But again, uh, the other thing is timing. So you've got to find out, you've got to ask some good questions about how long this is going to take and what is the sales cycle so that you can be aware of it, so you can go into the interaction already armed with that information. So when you get that no, you're prepared and then you can deal with that. You know, a lot of what the no's are, are objections that we just don't get told. So yeah. we also go through the book, some classic objections because no is the easy objection, right? It's the knee jerk reaction that we get sure. without learning what's really behind that. So how can you get curious Stay, again, stay engaged, don't run and ask the question like, hey, well, you know, out of curiosity, if if maybe this wasn't an issue for you, if we took this particular issue that you've brought up, if that wasn't the case, would you be more interested? Would you be would you be able to go forward then? So like, yeah. let's just pretend this objection doesn't exist. Right. Sure. And so, I mean, that's a, a an easy way to get underneath what that first no is. Right. And, and one of the things that's so interesting is we, we find people who, you know, they've been selling for six months and they say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still getting tripped up by objections. I, I can't, you know, I, I'm, I, I just keep stumbling when I get the objections. So we'll say, so what are the six big objections you get? And they go like, well, what, what do you mean? And, and well, what are the six? Give, them, give me the six in order with how often you get them. And virtually no one can do it because they haven't taken the time, time to do an objection log. They didn't leave the sale saying, okay, this was the objection. And then they analyze it after a month, after yeah. a month, you're going to see, and, and of course this is different for every business, but you know, somebody's going to see 40% is price, you know, 10% is the timing, 10% is I, we're already uh, tied into a contract with our current vendor, you know, but you get down to, by the time you get to the seventh and eighth, it's very few people. 
It's sure. always about six. And so we're always stunned. And one of the points in our book is, you know, when you hear no, you shouldn't be surprised. If you've yeah. been in if you've been in selling for over 30 days and you hear the word no and you're surprised, especially with a price objection, and you haven't taken the time to say, what am I going to say when somebody presents a price objection? And you haven't done that, well, then no wonder you're getting tripped up with the word no. Um, sure. And if you are prepared, then suddenly when you hear no, you're actually pretty excited because even as the person's voicing the objection, you're going like, I got the answer to this one, right? And instead of cowering and getting that look, you know, you're kind of you're, you're relaxed and you start to smile, right? Because it's not that big sure. of a deal. You have to be ready. I think, Ian, the other thing too is um, that's kind of a, I, we always forget it because we always, Richard and I both, like you, we love the tactical advice. The other big piece of this book, though, is what to think. You know, one of the questions that we get asked all the time, because we're known as the go for no people, and so it's always like, go out and get no and get no. Everybody, the question is always, how do I deal with just the crushing part of the rejection. Like I'm depressed. I'm demoralized. I can't do this anymore. You know, I was really hoping this deal would close. So one of my favorite ones that we talk about in the book is just, and this sounds kind of simple on the surface, but it's the advice is change your state. And so when people are, especially for those salespeople who are quote dialing for dollars or, you know, their appointment setting or whatever, and, and they just, they get a lot of rejection. It's how do you, what, what can you do to change your emotional reaction and change your state of mind when you're getting those reactions? That's a big part of, of going for no and dealing with no in general is just being able to like, being able to detach and being able to have that kind of peace of mind uh, because salespeople, and I think people who gravitate towards sales or who, who are good at it, you know, we like to win often we're kind of gamblers in a way, you know, we were, we sure. like the big four, you know? And so it's hard psychologically, emotionally, it's hard, it's hard because we're hardwired not to be rejected, but also we want to win. And so if you're down in a slump, you've got to change your mindset around that. So that's the other thing that I think I'm hoping that people will find is a good value from this book is we don't just deal tactically with, okay, here's some things to say, but also let's deal with your emotional mindset. Got it. Got it. And and there's a couple of things I think about with that. One is I often try to explain to people that, look, you want to think of it as no just means that maybe you don't have a good fit right now. It's it's not that it's not that you're being rejected. It's just, guess what? Good news. You just discovered that these people weren't a fit for the problems you're best at solving right now. And it doesn't mean you can't help them in the future. The other thing that that I find is kind of the great equalizer in questions is if we, if we ask people, so what might prevent you from achieving the results we talked about, even if we did everything we said we would do? And almost any time you ask that question, the client will kind of lean back, stroke their chin. Well, you know, I'm concerned that this person can't do that. And, those answers usually create additional opportunities because what usually happens is they say, well, we're confident you guys can deliver, but I don't know that my team can actually execute and do X, Y, and Z. Oh, well, should we include some level of training and onboarding for your team? Oh yeah, that would make a big difference. Okay, so, so do you feel more or less confident in the outcome now? Oh, much more confident. Okay, so would you like our help? Yeah, it's great. And we just went from no, because they don't want to tell you 
hey, listen, Andrea, um, it's it's a no right now because I think my team's a bunch of knuckleheads. Like they don't <laughs> say that. So instead they have to say, oh, well, yeah, you know, I don't think we're ready yet. And it's those types of questions that are the kind of go for no questions that mm-hmm. could get somebody to pivot and say, wow, this is a really big deal. And I do feel like these people are committed to the results and can get us there. Okay, this is who we're going to work with. And I think that changes the, the dynamic quite a bit. Absolutely. And that's a really fantastic point. Those are those tough early on questions that I think a lot of times don't get asked because people would rather just try to kind of persuade and push the yes and get the sale and then deal with those because those those things will come up later. <laughs> yeah. Those will be the stumbling blocks later once you get the yes. In fact, we actually have a little section in the back of the book that we that we say um, when they say yes. So we've got a lot of stuff about when they say no. <laughs> a couple things about when they say yes. And one of them is when they say yes. Well, one is you have to make sure that you can that you fulfill your promise, right? But the point that we also make is a good no is better than a bad yes. Yeah, And so bad yes is, is exactly what you just described, is maybe somebody who doesn't want to admit that they've got all these issues, so they will say yes, and then it turns into... Then they'll renege. A, yeah. They'll renege. It becomes, it becomes a phantom yes that then sucks you into the vortex of evil, as I like to refer to it. <laughs> so that's kind of what happens. So I tell you what, I'm going to give a quick recap of, I think, some key takeaways And then I'm going to turn it over to you for rebuttal to let me know and let our audience know what I missed, as well as how they can contact you and learn more about you and get the book. So I've got my notes in front of me. So the stuff that stood out for me is, is first, this notion of kind of being skeptical. So going for no is not about being rude or pushing people for no, it's just having healthy skepticism. So they're convincing us rather than us convincing them. It's the notion of disqualification. How are we disqualifying the opportunities not worth our time rather than this notion of desperation where we kind of lie to ourselves and say, and, look, and go for yes, even if we know it's a no, so that way we can tell our manager, look at all this activity. I got all these great deals coming up, even if they're not real. And then it's that notion of when you hear no, it's a timing and patience issue. And finally, come up with a list of objections that you most often hear, because if you don't know what they are, you're just not paying attention. So what did I miss? And how do people learn more about you and stay in touch with you? I think you nailed it. The only thing I would remind everybody is your emotional reaction to know and, and making sure that you do some self-care uh, change your state. And I didn't go into it, Ian, but change your state means listen to music, watch a funny m- movie on your phone during lunch, do what you can to kind of remind yourself that, uh, and I think one of our strategies too is um, you didn't die. You're not going to die. <laughs> right. So it's that whole emotional aspect as well. So, and, and my, my wife would not at all be surprised that I overlooked the emotional side of the uh, of making sure that people change their state and change their mind. She would not be shocked at all that I skipped that one. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing and find the book? Yeah. Uh, so when they say no, we'll be on Amazon with go for no and our right. websites go for no.com. We're, we're well branded. We've been the go for no people now for 20 years. So if you type in go for no, 
besides the uh, Indian version that will pop up maybe in your search, uh, you'll find us. Yep. And, and I believe for our longtime listeners, early on in the podcast, one of the early episodes was Andrea talking about go for no. And I love the mm -hmm. fact that you said some authors publish every two years. You guys just translated two years to two decades and you're still right on time. So I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, for Great. joining me today and for sharing your wisdom. Good. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. <laughs>